Thank you, Tia. Is, oh, I guess this is on. Okay. So it's wonderful to be here in some real sense back home. I started everyday zazen practice 40 years ago with uh, my first teacher, a Japanese Soto Zen priest on the Upper West Side of Manhattan where I lived then. Um, and it's wonderful to have a Suzuki Roshi lineage now in New York. And So uh, this morning, I want to talk about um, Dongshan, or Tozan Ryokai in Japanese, um, from my new book, Just This Is It, Dongshan and the Practice of Suchness. So uh, Dongshan, or Tozan, is very important in our tradition. He lived in the 800s in China. And um, I see very much a deep connect, practice connection between Dongshan and Dogen, who lived in the 12, brought this tradition to Japan in the 1200s, and then Suzuki Roshi, who brought this to California in the 1960s. Um, and Dongshan is probably best known for the, uh, well, well, a teaching poem called the Jewel Mare Samadhi. Do you chant that here? Uh, anyway, it's an uh, important chant in our, our tradition, uh, teaching poem. And also, uh, the, the Five Degrees teaching is attributed to Dongshan, or sometimes called the Five Ranks. So I have chapters on both of those towards the end of the book, but. Um, Mostly I'm focusing on stories about Dongshan, or stories that are attributed to him, the old teaching stories or koans, which are very much part of the Soto tradition too. We don't work, we don't practice with them in the, in, in the way that usually is referred to as koan practice in this country, but uh, they're the um, family jewels in some sense of our tradition, these teaching stories. So um, there's so many of them, um, and I wanted to have some time for discussion as well. I was gonna try and talk about two of them, we'll see how I do. Um, the first one is uh, I, really, to me, a key story in our whole practice. Um, and it's a, it's a very subtle and complex story, and I'm only going to be able to uh, hit some aspects of it uh, today. But it's about when Dongshan was leaving his teacher, Yunyan, whose his teacher's name was Yunyan, or um, Ongan Donjo in, in Japanese. And after training with him, he was departing to go on pilgrimage and visit other teachers. And Dongshan asked Yunyan, later on, if I'm asked to describe your reality or your teaching, your dharma, how should I, what should I say? How should I respond? And Yunyan paused. And then he said, just this is it. So there are many ways to understand this, uh, we, and there are various other translations of it too, but uh, it could refer just to uh, them meeting together, or it could refer to Dongshan asking that question, um, but, but also, more fundamentally, just this, this suchness, this experience, here, now, this morning, just this is it. And a lot of the stories 
play with that. So uh, major themes in, in some of the other stories have to do, a lot of them have to do with how this is conveyed and just the way that this is shared and transmitted. Uh, stories, some of the stories have to do with very much how um, we integrate um, the, the sense, the taste, the glimpse of this ultimate reality that we all have when we do zazen. In some way, we may not realize it, but there's some sense of that. How does that integrate into our everyday activity? So here practicing in Brooklyn in my little storefront temple in Chicago, we're, we're immersed in that. And that's a key issue. And then the other issue is, uh, the, the second story I'm going to try and get to is about the path that um, we use, conventionally, our usual way of thinking about things is that we make progress step by step and stage by stage. Dongshan cuts through that. And I'll talk about that more. But anyway, so he said to Dongshan, Yunyan said to Dongshan, just this is it. Dongshan had nothing to say. Um, what, what can you say to that? And Yunyan said, now you're in charge of this great matter. You must be most thoroughgoing. Kind of sealing his uh, transmission to him. And so the story goes that later on, Dongshan was, was uh, wandering around and uh, going on pilgrimage. And he waded, waded across the stream. And he looked down. And he saw his reflection in the shimmering stream. And he realized uh, what Yunyan was talking about. And Dongshan wrote this poem. And this is, uh, in some sense, the key teaching of Soto Sen. Uh, or one line of it anyway. He, sa he said, just don't seek from others or you'll be far estranged from self. So, of course, we practice in Sangha together and we need others and we're doing this together and there's a communal aspect of our practice. We're never just alone, but also you can't get it from somebody else. We have to experience this ourselves. So he said, just don't seek from others or you'll be far estranged from self. I now go on alone, and ev but everywhere I meet it. So Dharma gates are boundless. We vow to enter them. Every situation, every challenge, uh, we meet ourselves. We meet this suchness. Then Dongshan said this amazing thing. He said, it now is me. I now am not it. It now is me. I now am not it. One must understand in this way to merge with suchness. So to me, this is the, the key line. Uh, so if you, if, if you have to remember one line of the Zen teachings, it now is me, I now am not it. Of course, there's lots of other good lines. But, um, so what's going on here has to do with, well, the teaching of non-self, um, the complexity of our... Um, mm, our, uh, our connection to the ultimate, to the universal, to wholeness, to suchness, Buddha nature. There are lots of ways of talking about it. None of them are get it. None of them are completely right. But it now is me. I now am not it. So there's these two sides of our relationship to ultimate reality. Uh, it now is me. I now am not it. Um, and... Um, So this, I'm going to start with I am not it. Um, this is the, the kind of basic teaching that this 
self that we've constructed, that we grasp onto, this person we identify with, all of the stories that we put together to, uh, to imagine some self that then we cling onto. That's not it. I'm not it. But it now is me, is the other side of that. Um, I'll come back to that. The I am not it, uh, to me, is informed by, well, a, a couple of other references. One is the French poet Arthur Rimbaud, who said, je est un autre, or I is an other. And as soon as we um, uh, make up an I, then I becomes yet another object. And our usual way of seeing the world is to imagine there's me and there's all this, you know, all of you or all these other things out here. And we kill the world. We make it into a world of dead objects. And, and we can do that with ourselves, too, when we construct an eye. Je et un autre. It is really another. Um, um, so, um, so just as we see fences and walls or others, as others, we can see I as another. I becomes an other whenever we imagine an I. Um, so this is this is this fundamental teaching of non-self uh, that that we're alive and everything is alive and we're deeply connected. But this I that we have constructed, of course, it's not that. So non-self doesn't mean you should get rid of your ego, or you know, uh, do self-immolation or self-mutilation or something like that. We take care of ourselves. That's important. But I is not it. I am not it. Um, so. Um, you know, Dylan talks about doing what you do just to be nothing more than something you invest in. You just become another commodity. So I am not it, but it now is me. Um, uh, in this way, this, um, uh, this reality of suchness that's around us, that is, we are part of that. We are, so this is about the particular um, combination of being sitting on your cushion or chair right now and vastness, wholeness, ultimate, universal suchness, we could call it. Um, and that's the way I talk about it in this book from Dongshan or Tozan. Uh, it now is each of us. So that doesn't happen somewhere out there. We are part of the wholeness. Each of us in our own particular way is an expression of the ultimate. And part of the challenge of practice, of course, is how we each express that. How we each express Buddha's body in our own particular way. So I am not it, but it now is me. Uh, this, this is very subtle, and there's lots of ways to play with this. Um, and part of the point of these stories is, is exactly that, to look at them, to play with them, to free associate, to see what that has to do with you and your practice. So all of these stories have lasted a thousand years or more because they're not about some historical artifact from the ninth century China. They're about our practice 
and our uh, and how we live. So I am not it. It now is me. There's a commentary on this by uh, Dogen in Genjo Koan. Do you ever uh, talk about that? Well, there's a line in Genjo Koan. Um, to carry the self forward and experience myriad things is delusion. That's I am not it. We, we project ourself onto the world. I am not it. This self is not it. But then myriad things come forth and experience themselves. Experience themselves. That is awakening, Dogen says. And that is it now is me. So all of the, everything in your life, everybody you've ever known, everybody you ever will know in some sense, is part of what's happening on your seat right now. And um, so it now is me. We are co deeply connected. And uh, so this suchness is not, um, it's, it's um, this, isn't, this isn't passivity. This is, an, this is an act of suchness. We are part of suchness. We have a responsibility to suchness. We're not it, so we can't control it. You know, when Dogen says uh, to carry the self forward is, and experience the myriad things, to project ourselves is delusion. Well, and it's not about you should get rid of delusion and get a hold of awakening. Uh, they're all, both sides are part of our life. Our, our human discriminating consciousness does that. We divide things up. We, we project ourselves. So, we have to, so the point is, the practice is to recognize that, to not be fooled by that as much as possible. And of course we will be, but to, not, to try not to, to see it through it and not get caught by this, this self that we think is controlling the world. Um, I recently had this uh, realization that was a great relief to me. I realized I can't control anything. <laughs> you know, sometimes I try, but <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so um, I am not it, but it now is me. Um, uh, this, uh, again, this suchness, this, uh, and suchness is also not something that we can get a hold of. Suchness is like, and kind of the flip side of emptiness. Suchness is the, a way of talking about reality. Just this, just this is it. And you could also, in your zazen, just say to yourself over and over again, just this is it. See what that's like. <laughs> but um, yeah, then there's, an, there's a story about this. So there's a lot, a lot to say, more than I can say today about this story. But one part is that um, later on, when Dongshan was doing a memorial service for his teacher, Yunyan, one of his students came up to him and said, um, when Yunyan, and, and Dongshan told the story about, Yun, about uh, Yunyan saying, just this is it. And the monk asked Dongshan, when Yunyan said, just this is it, what did he mean? And Dongshan said, at that time, I nearly misunderstood my late teacher. The monk then asked, kind of impudently, well, did Yunyan himself know it is or not? And the, I, there are many stories about Yunyan, and he's one of the great classic Zen failures in Zen history. He took a long time to get, any, to get it, and he studied with some of the best teachers in, in, in history, and he's still, you know, he was, anyway. And so there's, there, there are other stories about, well, did Yunyan understand anything or not? But anyway, uh, uh, 
so this is a question. Did, is the monk asked, did, did, did Yunyan himself know it is or not? And Dongshan said this wonderful thing. If he did not know it is, how could he be able to say this? Well, yeah, he couldn't have said just this is it if he hadn't you know, been there. But then Dongshan continues. Uh, if he did know it is, how could he be willing to say this? So, um, you know, anything I say, or even anything that Tia says, you know, it, it, it's, it can't get all of it, you know? Uh, Tia's very, very skillful, but... Um, uh, if he did know it is, how could he be willing to say this? So part of that is that this is very, this, this relationship of complex relationship of self to the ultimate, to wholeness, is um, it's slippery. But part of it is also that you can't get it from someone else. So how, you know, how do I, how do I say this that points each of you to um, really digging into I am not it, it now is me. Uh, and for yourself, and seeing this dynamic. So it's, it's not static. Suchness is not something you can get, uh, but it's a way of talking about that which is ungraspable. That's one of the essential aspects of suchness. We can't get a hold of it. Um, now, I would say, you know, Yunyan is very skillful, and there's a chapter about Yunyan, and uh, he's the one. Maybe you've heard the story. He, he said, you should know there's one who's not busy. Wonderful story. Anyway, Yunyan was great, but um, um, how could he have been willing to say this? It's, it's, it's a real question. Uh, later on, Suzuki Roshi brought all this tradition. So I talk about Dogen's commentary on this, too, and I have my own commentary, and I have... Uh, lots of commentaries by other people in the book, uh, Randy Newman and Krishnamurti and Jack London and Lewis Carroll and lots from Bob Dylan and anyway, um, Joni Mitchell. Anyway, um, um, but Suzuki Roshi talked about this story and when he was uh, talking in Tassahara once and he translated it differently. He said, uh, that uh, he translating the, the Dongshan's verse, um, just don't seek from others or you'll be far estranged from self. I now go on alone everywhere I meet it. Uh, Suzuki Roshi talked about this being everywhere you meet yourself, everywhere meeting oneself. Um, and he also said about this saying of Dongshan, don't try to figure out who you are. If you try to figure out who you are, what you understand will be far away from you. You will have just an image of yourself. He added, actually, you are in the river. You may say that is just a shadow or a reflection of yourself in the stream. But if you look carefully with warm-hearted feeling, that is you. So Suzuki Roshi emphasized this warm-hearted feeling. Um, so I'm glad that it's now in Brooklyn. And he, Suzuki Roshi further commented that on seeing his reflection, I go my own way, wherever I go, I meet myself. 
So in some sense, this is not the self that is not it. It's the self that is part of everything arising and experiencing itself. So um, there's a lot more to say about that story, but I want to briefly talk about another story, um, which I like a lot. Um, so there are many, many stories that I talk about in the book. Um, and some of them have to do with um, this practice we do um, as a practice of suchness. And in some sense, you know, I don't know what the Zazen instruction is like here and if Tia kindly gives you various practices to do, like counting your breath or listening to sounds or doing mantras, which I talk about to my students too. But primarily, we just sit. Whatever happens, that's it. So this is kind. Of, this is in many uh, Buddhist traditions, kind of the highest practice. And in some sense, in this tradition from Dongshan and Dogen and Suki Roshi, we start on the top of the mountain. So there's a story where uh, a monk. Uh, came to talk to Dongshan, and Dongshan asked the monk, where have you come from? And the monk responded, from wandering in the mountains. Dongshan asked, did you reach the peak? And the monk said, yes. Asked if there was anyone on the peak by Dongshan, the student said, no, there was not. So Dongshan said, if so, then you did not reach the peak. If there was no one there, how could you have been there? <laughs> but um, this student was really good. We don't know his name, but you know, if you reach the peak of emptiness and there's nothing there, then you're not either. But this student said clearly, if I did not reach the peak, how could I have known there was no one there? <laughs> And so Dongshan then asked, um, it was impressed, and he asked uh, why he hadn't remained on the mountaintop. And you know, when you really settle into immersion in this dharma of suchness, or really appreciate emptiness and see that there's no one here, uh, you know, it can be very pleasant and blissful, and just there's you know, nothing you need to do, and it's, it's wonderful, it's all, you know, no samsara, just all, you know. Everything is nirvana and it's wonderful. But this um, student said, honestly, that he would have been inclined to stay there. He, he kind of wanted to. However, he knew there was someone from the West, probably referring to Bodhidharma or maybe to Buddha, who would not have approved. Dongshan then praised the monk, saying, I had wondered about this fellow. So this is part of the point of our practice. In, in whatever way we do actually merge with suchness and see that I am not it, but it actually is me. Uh, in this subtle, subtle dynamic, um, we can't stay on the mountaintop. So T and I were at Tassajara many years ago before some of you were born. Um, <laughs> Uh, and it was wonderful, you know. It was also difficult in certain ways at times, but, you know, uh, doing a lot of practice like that is great. But, you know, here we are down 
you know, we came back down and now in Brooklyn and Chicago. And, and actually, we need to do that. So there's a rhythm to our practice where we turn, we turn within, we uh, settle into this connection, this communion, this harmonious communion with the ultimate. We see that even though I'm not it, it now is me. And, you, you know, I, I kind of feel, um, and often Zen students don't believe this, but I kind of feel that you've all had some taste of that or else you wouldn't be here. Uh, but then you have to go back out into the streets of Brooklyn or in, in, into your life and into your work and into your family uh, world and, and relationships and spouses and children and, and, what, and whatever. And, and then how do you share this? How do you express this? This is, this is the, the basic dynamic of our practice. So he, he had seen. If he said, as he said, if I did not reach the peak, how could I have known there was no one there? Um, but then he had to come back down. Um, there's another story about this. Uh, one of uh, Dongshan's major disciples, Ungo Doyo in Japanese, Yunju Daoying in Chinese, he's actually the disciple of Dongshan, whose lineage made it to Dogen and then to us. Um, um, and one time, Yunju um, had been away and he came back and Dongshan asked him where he'd been. And Yunju replied that he'd been walking in the mountains. And Dongshan asked, had he found a mountain to reside on? So in Zen, you know, teachers are often named after the mountain they, live, they teach on. So I don't know. Uh, how do you say Brooklyn Mountain in, in Japanese for, for Tia? But um, anyway, um, so Yunju had been wandering around and he said, no, definitely. There are no, he could not find a, find a mountain to reside on um, that was suitable for residing on. And Dongshan asked Yunju, had he visited all of the mountains in the country? And Yunju said he had not. So then Dongshan said, well, maybe you, you must have found an entry path. You must have found a path in. And Yunju said very emphatically, and this is the key point, no, there's no path. Dongshan said, if there's no path, I wonder how you have come to lay eyes on this old monk. And Yunju said, if there were a path, then a mountain would stand between us. And Dongshan approved this and said that henceforth not even 10,000 people could hold down Yunju. So the very idea of a path implies separation. And that, in, in, there are many uh, systems of, in Buddhism of various stages of progress, and some of them are beautiful to, to look at and, and even to you know, kind of take on and try and practice, but fundamentally there's no path. This is so subversive to our whole way of thinking. <laughs> We think that we're making progress and we get from third grade to fourth grade and so on and, you know, and we accumulate resume items or whatever and eventually we'll get, you know, we make progress and, you know, and, you know, then we get to the mountaintop or whatever. Yuan um, just says there's no path. Um, so, again, if, the, if there's a path, then there's some separation. 
some distance in space or time that you need to traverse to get to some particular destination. If there's a path, then you're not here. You're trying to get somewhere else. And our practice is about just this, not going somewhere else. Can you be right there on your cushion or chair? This body-mind. Even if you see all the grasping and craving and anger and frustration and confusion, you know, our human greed, hate, and delusion, still, if you're trying to get somewhere else, you can't be here in suchness. So, um, Yuan Zhu, disdaining any path, affirms his present communion with his teacher, Dongshan. So, uh, there's much more to say about, about this idea of a path and how it separates us from ourself and from our reality. And so, our basic practice again is just top of the mountain. Here we are. Just this is it. But then, as we um, try and share this, we, you know, it's okay to come down the mountain and see all the trailways that <laughs> going down and to help other people who are trying to work their way up and don't realize they're already there. Or, you know, just to, uh, from the point of view of the top of the mountain, to enjoy all the, these other practices. So, um, there's an old Zen story about this. Um, in the words of the greatest, great Scottish mystic, first there is a mountain, then there is no mountain, then there is. Um, we see that to get somewhere, and then we see that, oh, there's no mountain, here we are. And then, then we see, okay, yeah, we have to come back down from the mountain and go to Brooklyn or Chicago or wherever. So, um, anyway, this is a little bit about the stories from Dongshan or Tozan. Um, in Japanese, and uh, they're very rich, and each of them uh, gives us a way to look at our practice and how it is that we are here and how we take on this practice in the world. So uh, our way of working with these stories is just to, you know, hang out with them and free associate and play with them and, you know, see what it means. And some of the stories may appeal to, may not appeal to you. That's fine. Look at the others. Find, find one that, that um, has something that you re realize has something to do with you and hang out with it. So there's lots more I could say. Um, I'm, I'm good at babbling on, but I will um, stop and pause. And I think it's time to, yeah, we have a little bit of time for discussion or questions. So uh, if you have any comments or responses or questions about anything, um, please. Yes? Ah. Great story. Yunyan, Dongshan's teacher, who said just this is it, um, was sweeping the ground one day. He was cleaning the temple. So I think you guys are going to be, well, we're going to be cleaning the temple a little bit soon. And his brother, his name was Dawu, Dogo in Japanese, who was a kind of elder, older than him and, a, and also a monk, and they practiced together for a long time. And there are many stories about both of them. But um, Yunyan was sweeping the ground, and Dogo, uh, I'm getting mixed up with the Japanese. Dawu, I'll keep to the Chinese so I don't get too confused. Dawu saw him and said, too busy. And Yunyan looked at him and said, you should know there's one who's not busy. 
Then Dao said to him, do you mean there's a second moon? So this is really a subtle issue. Is there two realities? Is there your meditative reality and there your busy Brooklyn reality? Are there two separate? Is that separate? Um, are there two moons? Uh, and Yunyan did this amazing thing. He held out his broom and he said, which moon is this? So he didn't take either side. He just, you know, brought the question back. So uh, you should know there's one who's not busy. Um, and, you know, maybe you don't know that yet, but um, something to look at. And um, I don't know what, if it says something on your Han here. But don't waste time. Um, somebody once asked my teacher, uh, Reb Anderson, if he, what it means to waste time. And he said, forgetting the one who's not busy. So there's a lot more to that story. There's in the commentary in the, in the Koan collection, they talk about, was well, there one moon or two moons or 10,000 moons or any moons at all? And anyway, so there's a, there's a lot more to say about that, but, but that's the basic. Other questions, comments, responses? says the same thing. It's like, justice is it. Come down from the mountaintop. There is no one here. And please just sleep the floor. Yes. It's like bringing Great. him down to what's going on, the current activity. Quite like that. Yeah, yes. And yet, you are not it, or I am not it. The it, the, the it of suchness is everything, including us. So this, it's, this gets... You know, it's, it's, there's so many levels of this, and it goes back and forth. And the most important part is maybe that this suchness, you know, this space at the mountaintop, to put it that way, uh, this one who's not busy, is not passive. It's an active practice. We have to actively express it on our cushions, in this body, in our life. This is the challenge. Um, there's not one way. Each of you has your own way to do that. Each of you has your own expression of each of us. Our practice is about creating Buddha's body. Whatever, you know, whatever kind of body you got, how, how is that Buddha's body? How do, how do you um, express Buddha in your body-mind? Uh, so we each have our own particular way of doing that. There's none, not one right response. Um, I, I'm, uh, I talk about uh, activism and, and responding to climate a lot and to other issues. And there's not one right way to respond. You know, there's, there's uh, it, how do we meet the challenges of the world? The, the complexities of our own body and mind, and then the problems of our family and friends, and loved ones, but also in, our, in our, the world around us. How do we uh, respond? And there's not one right strategy or tactic. We each have our own way to respond, and that's and change comes from that. Yes. Uh, could you repeat uh, Yan Yang's reply uh, to Dong Shan after he said, "Just this is it." Yes. Um, he basically said, 
Uh, so Yunyan's response, after he said, just this is it, Dongshan was silent. And then Yunyan said, Please, you, you are now in charge of this. Please be very careful. Please be most thoroughgoing. Is that the one you're referring to? Yes. Oh, so it was Yunyan who said, uh, yeah. just this is it? Yunyan said, just this is it. Dongshan, you know, did, what can you say about that? Dongshan was just quiet. But then Yunyan said, uh, in the Jewel Merim Samadhi, it's paraphrased, now you have it, preserve it well. So in some sense, our, in our job as Zen practitioners is that we, you know, first of all, we to, to deepen and open up this experience of this reality. I'm not it, it now is me, or just this. But then, um, how do we take care of that? So we do it with sanghas, we do it in our life, outside sangha too, but it's not separate. How do we express this for ourselves and for each other and for everyone else in our life? And that's, you know, a lifelong challenge, of course. Yes? Um, how do we, how do we study um, I'm not here without for any of the story you're talking about, without conceptual, over conceptualizing. I mean, I, I, I sense that there's um, something being taught that's not, can't really be grasped by thinking about that. Right. So, how do we, how's that evolve? Yeah, well, we, we are willing to be perplexed. <laughs> We are willing to dig into it, and there's something there. And uh, so we can't get a hold of it conceptually. That's part of the point. It's not, we can't get it exactly. Anything we say about it misses. Another famous story is about that. Still, we can, you know, we have some relationship to this. We have some way of practicing this. And that is something that unfolds and with our settling and opening and developing a flexibility and capacity, all of which happens with zazen, if you sustain it. Yes? Um, it seems to me that coming down the mountain involves uh, embracing one's own suffering, which uh, I find really paradoxical, because I mean, this is why we entered this path, overcome our suffering. I was wondering if you had any thoughts about it. Yes, I do. <laughs> um, On so many levels, um, well, one, one piece is that um, suffering has so many different dimensions. And that's not exactly the best word for that. It's, it's dissatisfactoriness, it's dukkha, is things are slightly out of line or very out of line. It comes from, etymologically from a, uh, an axle that's kind of out of kilter. but. Um, Old age, sickness, and death, and corruption, and um, damage happening in the world around us, and injustice, and inequality, and all that stuff. Um, I would say the power of Zazen is that it allows us, and you know, maybe take it slow, but to really feel our grief. You have to be willing to be 
present with that. One description of the Bodhisattva is that um, to, to have your heart broken again and again and again. But if you're willing to stay there in the middle of that and don't, you don't have to you know, push yourself you know, too, too far in this, the world will bring you problems. But, um, I mean, it's, tr it's possible it's, it, that you know, one, some week you've, you've, you've solved all your problems. Or there's no more problems left or they've gone away somehow. And, but other people will come and give you theirs. Um, <laughs> but um, here we are, and it's a difficult world. And uh, so practicing you know, practicing in the city, practicing with all of the problems of the world is very advanced practice. But you have to be willing to feel it and not, sh and not try and push it away. So, you know, the thing about starting on the mountaintop also, uh, I think a lot of people come to practice because they want relief, you know, they want some calm some settledness, some uh, relief from the difficulties of our life. And that's fine. Um, and actually, Sazen does provide a sense of calm if you do it in a sustained way. And, and also a sense of openness. Uh, there's the focusing and there's the openness and sense of flexibility, a sense of know, knowing yourself and, and your stuff well enough so that you don't have to act on it or not so much, you know, that you can respond to the situation rather than react. This is a lifelong process, but uh, to not try and escape from the suffering of the world or from yourself, and to settle into it, and to become, there's another story in the, about Dongshan where he talks about intimacy, and um, to become intimate with yourself and friendly with yourself, and forgive yourself for being a human being. And then how do you take care of that? Good luck. Yeah. Uh, I, I appreciate the fact that you repeatedly use the phrasing play with mm. rather than work with. To me, play with um, suggests a, an exploration that doesn't have that doesn't require like a concrete, um, definitive objective. Yes. We don't know, you know, we practice without knowing the outcome. It's, so Suzuki Roshi talked a lot about non-gaining mind. That doesn't mean that, we, that there aren't benefits from this practice. It's just that they're not what you think they'll be. <laughs> you know, so if, you, if you're trying to get to some objective, that's not it. You know, you, that, that's something our mind does, so, you know, okay. You should know that you're trying to get whatever, but the actual practice, how things change, how, um, we, can, how we as a, a society can respond to inequality and racism and, and the destruction of our climate, we don't know how, that's gonna, how the change is going to happen. And yet each of us, by responding, uh, from our place in our world uh, makes a difference. So we don't know the outcome. Um, and yet, um, yeah, we can play with it.
Any other comments or responses or questions? Hi. Uh, I guess my question is, uh, like, I, I don't think like, I really grasp what you said, if anything, I have just a inkling of the way people use it. Well, that's okay. That's good. And, uh, don't grasp it. Yeah, I know. But it's like, I guess the question, as soon as I usually leave here at the Dharma talk, I want to go home to my husband and my son who don't practice. And I want to say, they ask me, how was it? And I, like, it's kind of like, how do I contain it? How do I share it? You know, you know it's a silly practical yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, um, so many of us as practitioners have spouses or partners who uh, don't, who quote unquote don't practice formally. Uh, and it's important not to kind of, you know, think that one way is better than another. Uh, it's kind of a trick question. I um, used to ask good Zen students well, about a Dharma talk I hadn't been at. Well, what did they talk about? And most of the time, Occasionally, someone will say, oh, yeah, they talked about this and this and this. But most of the time, they can't remember. So don't worry. Actually, Dogen says to one of his, um, one of his closest disciples at some point, uh, a nun named Ryonin, uh, uh, one of his women students, um, do you want to know the secret, the key point of all of Zen? Would you like to? I don't think I understand it even if you Well, that's okay. I'll tell you anyway. Uh, so this is the key, according to Dogen, this is the key point of practice. Do, do any of you want to hear it? Yes. <laughs> he said, don't remember a single word I said. Now that's really tricky because if you remember that, <laughs> anyway, the token said that. Uh, so don't worry about remembering this. We remember, we, we get, we, we hear and understand and, and learn. We don't know. It's not about, our usual way of thinking about things and figuring out things is to figure something out and then rationally, you know, connect the dots and put it in some, you know, formula. And this is, this is our, the way our minds work. But we know things in many different ways. We, we don't have to think about it and figure it out to know if we feel hot or cold. Or if I reach my hand in, in my pocket, I know the difference between the coins and the pens, you know, uh, without my thinking about it, my hand knows. There's lots of ways we know about our world and ourselves. So don't worry if you can't remember any of this. I, I guess what I'm saying is there's also the sense of, even if I didn't understand, there's the sense of, oh, like I've been given a gift, I want to kind of share it with people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. That's lovely. And, and, and you do that just by being yourself. And it takes a while. So, so I would encourage you all to practice regularly and to keep at it. Sit at least several times a week. And don't worry about whether you got it or not or whether you're sharing it or not. Just be present with how it is for you. Thanks. Maybe time for one or two more. Tia, do you have any comments? 
Good. <laughs> I would just suggest people who have a taste or don't have a taste to remember the ultimate, the one who's not busy in their life. Uh, yeah, you should know there's one who's not busy. Well, you know, there are lots of tricks you can, you know, um, in the middle of being really busy, stop, hit the pause button, take a breath, remember Buddha. And it doesn't take long, you know, just, oh, yeah, Buddha. Or you can say some, uh, a line of the teaching. You could say, oh, this one is not busy. Um, or or um, there's lots of everyday activity kinds of, uh, I, I like to use mantra. You know, do you chant the Heart Sutra here? Zagate, gate, paragate, parasangate, bodhisvaha. You can just say that to yourself, you know, when in the middle of some busy situation. Or when you're, um, or during zazen too, is, you know, if you chant that, it's, it's part of part of zazen. Um, in situations where you're really busy, so I've had a few jobs like this. One of them was at uh, Tassahara Bakery. Uh, when I was working in the front, and Saturday mornings, we were, there was a line out the door for several hours, and you know, and and you're behind the counter, and there's you know, and you is it you know, do you want a large or small blueberry muffin? Is it for here to go? Which kind of tea? You know, you, you just, there's all this stuff to do, and there's and there's this line of people, and you can can't do it unless you slow down. You have to know that there's you have to you know when it, when things get really busy, slow down. And just take care of each thing. You don't have to, you know, dawdle, but, you know, yeah. It's a good question. And, you know, find your own tricks. There's, um, but, you know, there's things like, uh, I used to work for uh, Parallax Press, the Thich Nhat Hanh's publisher, and um, when Arnie and Therese were there, and um, uh, it was this horrible practice. I hated it then, but I appreciate it now. Whenever the phone rang, you had to stop. I'm in the middle of it, editing a word, typing a word, or hey, stop, the phone rings. Pause, wait for two rings, pause, okay, then you can go back to it. So you can use things in your everyday life as triggers to remember Buddha. Our practice is about remembering Buddha. Um, you know, Nembutsu is the uh, uh, means to remind, to remember, remind yourself of Buddha. It's a, that's usually thought of as a, a practice of chanting the name of Buddha in East, East Asia. But just uh, part of what we're doing, you know, there's Buddha sitting on on the altar, and we're sitting here um, remembering Buddha, finding how our uprightness is an expression of Buddha. I guess there's one who never forgets Buddha. Well, even if that one forgets, reminder. <laughs> so thank you all very much. Um, Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.